Well, we are in the fifth week of our series called Hide or Seek, and if you haven't been here, uh, this series is all about freedom. It's about freedom from issues, freedom from emotions, freedom from attitudes, dysfunction, sin, whatever it is that you need freedom from, that's what this series is about. And so if you haven't been here, uh, the big idea of the entire series is this right here, that freedom begins with me being honest with myself about myself. Uh, that's the idea of the series. So if you haven't been here, that's what you need to know. And if you have been here, that's really all that you need to remember going forward. That freedom from whatever it is that you need freedom from. It begins with me being honest with myself about myself. We love to think that freedom begins with God, that freedom is a, is a God thing. Uh, God's involved, but freedom doesn't begin with God. Freedom begins with me, and freedom begins with me being honest about myself to myself. So at all of our campuses, uh, I'm gonna count to three, and let's all just declare this out loud together. One, two, three. Freedom begins with me being honest with myself about myself. And so that's what we all need to know, and that's what we all struggle for, that's what we all strive towards. And this type of honesty, it's not easy. Uh, we love to think that this type of honesty is easy, but oftentimes it's anything but easy. And when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there was one particular group of people that struggled with honesty more than anybody else. There was one particular group of people that struggled being honest with God because they first of all struggled being honest with themselves. And it's not the group of people that we would expect. Now, everywhere that Jesus went, more times than not, Jesus attracted a crowd. So you can read about it and how he went from town to village, from town to village, and Jesus would gather and he would attract all these crowds, these crowds of people would get around Jesus. And, and if you take a look at the crowd and you try to divide that crowd into two groups, uh, two buckets, two filing cabinets that you could kind of classify everybody you know, with or under or by, uh, there was two groups in the crowd always with Jesus. Uh, there was the religious people and the unreligious people. So when Jesus would attract the crowd, within that crowd, there were basically two groups of people, the religious people and the non-religious people. The, you know, the religious people who believed in God, the irreligious people who didn't believe in God, uh, the sinners and the saints, uh, the behaviors, the misbehaviors, those who love the scriptures, those who could care less about the scripture. And everywhere Jesus went and he gathered the crowd, that's basically who was in the crowd, the non-religious and the religious. Now, the people that we would expect to struggle with being honest with themselves and honest with God wasn't the sinners or the misbehaviors. That's if we didn't already know the rest of the story and we didn't know the characters and how things shaped out in the end with Jesus and the people that put him to death, we would think that it, it was the sinners. We would think that it's those who misbehave. It's, it's those who don't believe in God or love the scriptures. We would think that's the people that must have struggled with honesty. But it wasn't that group of people that struggled with being honest. It, it was the religious people. It was the people who loved God, who loved the scriptures, who loved the temple, who was good at behaving, who was good at keeping the rules. And it was this particular group of people that Jesus spoke most harshly to. Many of you, you grew up in churches where the pastor would get up and he would speak most harshly of sinners, of unrighteous people. But Jesus, he would speak most harshly to the religious people, to believers, to behaviors. And it's really quite odd because when we think about Jesus as being loving and kind and compassionate, and he was, and we ought to think about Jesus in those terms, 
But Jesus, he spoke to the religious people of his day in a way that he did not speak to the non-religious people of his day. He spoke to the believers in his day in a way that he did not speak to the unbelievers in his day. He reserved his most confrontive, his most antagonistic, his most insulting words to the religious people of his day. And so if that's the truth, and we know that it is because you can read about it in the gospels, we should stop and ask the question, why? Why is it that Jesus was so offended by this particular group of people? What bothered Jesus so much about this particular people? What was it? Why did he speak to them so harshly? On one occasion, Jesus looked at the religious people and he said, you're nothing but a bunch of snakes. On another occasion, he said, you're just like your daddy, the devil. I'm just telling you, that's not in Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's not. But that's how Jesus talked to them. And we should wonder why. What bothered Jesus so much about that particular group of people? And and here's what I believe it was. It was self-righteousness. They were self-righteous. Why was Jesus so very tolerant of sinners? Why was Jesus so very tolerant of the unrighteous? Why is it that Jesus was so patient and so kind and so loving to those who were non-believers? But Jesus was so intolerant, impatient towards the believing establishment of his day. Why was Jesus tolerant in one direction, but he was intolerant of the other? It was because Jesus was intolerant of self-righteousness. And the reason that Jesus hated self-righteousness so much, talked about it, insulted it so much, is because that Jesus knows how deadly and how dangerous and how deceptive self-righteousness can be. Jesus knew that self-righteousness can convince you and convince me that we're right when we're really wrong. Self-righteousness can convince you that you're better than someone when you're not better than anyone. Self-righteousness can convince you that you're good and you're not good. Self-righteousness is this horribly insidious thing and Jesus couldn't stand it. Jesus was intolerant of self-righteousness. Jesus would call it out. Jesus would antagonize those who were self-righteous because he knew how dangerous it was. And the reason that Jesus considered self-righteousness so dangerous was this right here. Because self-righteousness, you can go back one. Self-righteousness, it undermines relationships. Self-righteousness will ultimately lead you and me to mistreat people. That's how self-righteousness works. Self-righteousness always undermines relationships. If you're a self-righteous husband, it will undermine your relationship with your wife. If you're a self-righteous wife, it will undermine your relationship with your husband. Moms, dads, if you're a self-righteous parent, it will undermine your relationship with your children. Sons and daughters, if you're self-righteous, it will undermine your relationship with your parents. Same is true for employees and employers. Same is true for friends and strangers people in a community, it goes on and on and on. Self-righteousness, the reason that Jesus found it so disgusting and so offensive is because that self-righteous people always mistreat people. Sooner or later, if you struggle with self-righteousness, if I struggle with self-righteousness, if self-righteousness is in me, if it's in you, we will mistreat people and it will undermine our relationships. And this is why it's the biggest deal of all. Because Jesus put at the heart of our faith relationship. Jesus said the most important thing about your faith is your relationship. Your relationship with God and your relationship with everyone else. 
Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God and to love everybody else as Jesus has loved you. So when you have self-righteousness or I have self-righteousness, it undermines the two most important relationships in life. My relationship to God and my relationship to everyone else. That's why Jesus couldn't stand self-righteousness. Jesus knew that self-righteous people are rarely, if ever, self-aware and self-honest. They're rarely self-aware. A self-righteous person, they're not aware of their issues. They're not aware of their poor attitude. They're not aware of how they come off. They're not aware of how they speak down to people. They're not aware. They just, they just don't see themselves the way that people see them. They see themselves better than what they actually are. They're self-deceived. They're in denial. And that's the reason self-righteousness is such a bad thing because people become unaware of themselves. And when you're not aware of your true self, you can't be honest about yourself to yourself. You can't be honest to God about you because you've not yet been honest to you about you. And that's the reason self-righteousness is such a horrible thing. Now, you're a Christian, maybe you're a follower of Jesus. Self-righteousness is something you should be concerned about. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a religious person, self-righteousness, self-righteousness is not a faith problem. It's not a religious problem. Self-righteousness is a human problem. And self-righteousness is something that deeply disturbed Jesus because it keeps us from getting honest with ourselves and consequently honest with God. And and here's here's the thing. Self-righteousness is our go-to self-defense. It's what we go to. It's easy for us. It's natural for us. I, I could speak for you, but I'm not going to. I'll speak for me, and I'll, I'll just, let's get honest about this, and let's just, let's be vulnerable. It is easy for me, and I would even say natural for me, my default position, if I allow it to be. It is natural and easy for me to want to hide my sin behind the sin of someone else. You know what you call that? Self-righteousness. Because I have sin in my life and I don't want to feel bad about it, I don't want to feel guilty about it, I don't want to change it, I'll go find someone that I think has a worse sin and I'll hide my sin that I think is less of a sin behind someone else who I think has more of a sin so that I can feel better about the sin that I don't want to feel bad about. That's how self-righteousness works. It's easy for me to want to take my dysfunctions, my poor attitude, my issues and hide it behind that of other people. That's what self-righteousness does. That's, that's what self-righteous people do. Because it's easier for us to point at the wrong in somebody else's life than it is to point at the wrong in our own life. It's easy for me to say, hey, you got a whole bunch of stuff that you need to work on rather than me doing the hard work of working on me. It's easy for us. It's easy for you. Come on, let's get honest. It's easy for all of us to pinpoint, to pinpoint in our life what we do well and then go pinpoint someone who doesn't do it as well as us so that we can feel better about us. That's how self-righteousness works. You find what you're good at. You find someone who isn't. You look at them so you can feel better about you. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith, Let's take it a little bit further. It is easy for you, it is easy for us to point at, to talk about, to make an issue of people whose behavior, politics, diet, habits, the way they dress, the way they talk, what they eat, what they drink, what they believe, how they vote. It's easy to point at and talk about a group of people who you think fall short of the standard. 
Now, it may be your standard or it may be God's standard that you think they fall short of. But ultimately, they're not how you want them to be. They don't vote the way you want them to vote. They don't eat the way that you want them to eat. They don't live the way that you want them to live. They don't dress the way that you want them to dress. They don't do what you want them to do or what you think they should do. So they have fallen short of a standard, whether that's your standard or God's standard. It's easy to point at those types of people. It's easy to talk about those types of people, usually behind their back, because we don't like to talk to them face to face, but we'll talk to them behind their back and we'll talk about them to other people people. It's easy for us to do that because it makes us somehow feel better about ourselves. That's self-righteousness. Now, I don't know if you take notes, but I think you should because there's some things worth remembering, not because I say it, but because it's true. This is something I think you should write down, type it in your phone, write it down. Here's a good definition of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when I use you to feel better about me. That's self-righteousness. It's when I use you, something about you, how you dress, how you eat, how you look, how you talk, your politics, the, you know, where you live, how you live, you know, your, your, your job, the thing, you know, all, whatever it is. I use you, something about you, to feel better about me. That's self-righteousness. Now, when we talk about self-righteousness, usually we, we start automatically thinking about, you know, religious application. And there's tons of religious applications and turn, tons of application within the local church for followers of Jesus. When I became the pastor here almost 14 years ago, uh, in the early days, I talked a lot about how dangerous and deadly religion and legalism is because we didn't want to be a religious church and we didn't want to be a legalistic church. Because religious, legalistic churches produce Pharisees, and we didn't want to be Pharisees, we didn't want to be self-righteous, we didn't want to be judgmental, we didn't want to be condemnatory, we didn't want to be any of that. And so I talked about that a lot in the early days. Matter of fact, the first series we did when we moved into this building about eight years ago was a series called Death by Religion. It's still one of the most popular series that we've ever done here at our church, and it was just four weeks warring against religion and legalism. And there's all kinds of applications as it relates to the local church. There's so many different things that church people get self-righteous about. Here's some examples. Contemporary churches, progressive churches get self-righteous towards traditional churches. Like they're stuck in the past. I can't believe they still do church like that. And they get self-righteous about traditional churches. Traditional churches get self-righteous about contemporary progressive churches to say, oh, they're worldly. It's too modern. And so they get self-righteous towards each other. People who go to churches where they dress down for worship get self-righteous about people who go to churches who dress up for worship. It's like, they don't know you don't have to dress up. It's God who cares about your heart. And then the people who go to the church where they dress up for worship, they get self-righteous and talk about the people who go to church where they dress down for worship. And this is how it exists in the church world. You ever met a self-righteous Worship leader? Of course not. They don't exist. Maybe they do. I don't know, but not here. But people who lead music and love music, that sing contemporary songs and new songs and modern songs, if they don't watch, they become self-righteous towards people who sing the old songs and old hymns. And then the people who love the hymns get self-righteous towards the people who don't sing the hymns. I mean, there's no shortage of things where we try to one-up somebody, where we try to look down towards somebody to make ourselves feel better than someone. But there's just not religious applications and church applications. There's everyday applications of how self-righteousness works and how easy it is to be self-righteous. Let me give you a few that, that I've written down. 
It's easy for healthy eaters to get self-righteous towards unhealthy eaters. Now, have you ever gone to lunch with a group of people who love to eat healthy? And when it came time to order, you ordered carbs? And the table goes silent. And all of a sudden, a friend looks at you with true concern in their eyes to say, so you're not worried about carbs? No, I'm flipping not. I'm pro-Jesus, I'm pro-carbs. Matter of fact, if it wasn't for carbs and a little bit of Jesus, I wouldn't have got through last night. Self-righteous. What? You're going to eat... Do you know how much fat's in that? How much cholesterol's in that? You know, you're at the table and everybody pulls out their phone and they start logging everything. And you don't have a program to log anything. Or it's easy for people who eat unhealthy to get self-righteous towards people who eat healthy. Have you ever been at a table with unhealthy eaters and decide to order grilled chicken and broccoli? And your unhealthy eating friends get self-righteous and say, oh, grilled chicken and broccoli. Why don't you live a little? Why don't you be like us? We're all going to die. I mean, it, we can get self-righteous about anything. How about this? Early morning people talking about people who are not early morning people. I'll tell you. I typically wake up about 25 minutes before my alarm ever goes off. She typically stays in bed two hours after the alarm goes off. We're different like that. What, what he's saying is, I'm better like that. Or maybe you've heard the person who loves to sleep in say, even God rested. You people who get up every day, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're not even resting. Self-righteousness is crazy. The things that we do to feel better about ourselves. How about this? Readers and non-readers. The readers will ask their non-reading friends, Hey, have you read a good book lately? No, I haven't read any book lately. I mean, it just goes on and on. Or, or my favorite among friends is, are the people who love to read books and the people who love to listen to them on tape or audio. There's no tapes anymore, but digital books. I mean, self right what do you mean? You don't read a book? I could never do that. I, I like to have a book in my hand. And, and then they're thinking, how much time do you waste with a book in your hand? I mean, it's just, I mean, it goes on. How about this? Clean car people talking about dirty car people. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You, you're a clean car person and you step into that hell or that person's car. And it's like the aftermath of Jurassic Park gone bad. There's a coffee mug underneath your left cheek. You, you got something wrapped around your leg. I mean, you, your, your feet aren't even touching the floorboard of the car. And they don't give a rip. It's like, I'll just kick it out of the way. I'm, I'm afraid of what, what may be under it if I kick it out of the way. And then a dirty car person gets in a clean car person's car and they're thinking, 
They're so materialistic. They care about things way too much. I mean, this is what we do. Parents, I'm talking about, this is, this is where rubber meets the road. Parents whose kids play a lot of sports and even travel on sports teams versus the parents whose kids don't play a lot of sports and don't travel on sports teams. Well, the parents get together who don't have kids who are traveling on ball teams with this or that and they're thinking to themselves and talking to their other friends who are like them. I'm really worried about them. They're never at church. They're always traveling. They're always gone. I think it's an idol. Matter of fact, I'm not sure if they love Jesus. I don't know if they know Jesus. When's the last time you've seen them at church? It can't be a priority for them. I'm really worried about what's going to happen to their kids. Their daughter's probably going to get pregnant. Their son's probably going to, I mean, it's the way it is. And then, you know, the, the traveling ball parents are with their kids in a car traveling on the weekend thinking, do you know how weird and dorky that other family's kids are? They really need to be on a team. They don't even know how to interact with people. Have you ever tried to have a conversation? They're like, this is what we do. We find something. We point at it. We talk about it. We make fun of it. We belittle people. We guise it under the idea of, hey, we're concerned or, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a real problem in my heart. I, I'm so worried. And this is how self-righteousness works. Now, here's the thing. If you try to find something in your life that you're better at than someone else, you can do that. That's going to be easy. You may be a better reader. You may be better at getting up and praying. You may be better at fasting. You may be better, you know, at worship. You may be better at obeying. You may be better with your diet. You may be better with the way that you dress. You may be better with the way things operate in your family and your schedule and what you say no to and what you say yes to. You may find some things. I guarantee you, you can find something you're better at than somebody else. But here's the thing. You may be better at something than someone, but it doesn't make you a better someone than anyone. But self-righteousness will begin to allow you to believe that you are. Matter of fact, here's the personal side. I may be better at something than someone. I guarantee you I am. I guarantee you I can find something that I'm better than you at. I guarantee you can find something that you're better than me at. But even though I may be better at something than someone, but it doesn't make me a better someone than anyone. But see, self-righteousness, this is why it bothered Jesus so much. Because whenever we point at, whenever we make fun of, whenever we talk behind the backs of other people that don't meet the standard, we have ceased to be like Jesus. And we have started being like the self-righteous Pharisees and religious establishment of Jesus' day. How did Jesus treat the people who fell short of the standard? How was Jesus known to those people? He was known as their friend. He was a friend to sinners. Those who had fallen short of the standard, he was their friend. He wasn't a prosecutor. He wasn't a judge. He, he didn't treat them as though they were less than. No, Jesus was their friend. And this is why it bothers Jesus so much to be self-righteous. Because it's impossible to think that I'm better than someone and love them at the same time. It's impossible for me to think that I'm better than you and love you the way that I'm supposed to love you. And that's why it bothers Jesus so much. I even think that the worst form of unrighteousness seems to be Self-righteousness. I don't believe in a hierarchy of sin. I don't believe that this sin is more important than another. But if there were a list, I think that self-righteousness would be at the top because nothing bothered Jesus more. As a matter of fact, when God gives us a list in the book of Proverbs, the thing he hates, 
It starts with pride. It starts with arrogance. And that's what gives birth to self-righteousness. Now, again, Jesus had crowds. And it was the group that was religious, the behaviors that struggled with honesty the most. One day, Jesus is talking to this religious group of people and non-religious group of people. And he's on a hillside, and he begins to do a sermon. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Luke to great detail. And the reason that scholars believe that it's recorded at great detail is because Jesus said these things over and over again. This was just not one isolated sermon, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, once upon a time Jesus preached it. No. In time after time after time, in place after place after place, Jesus would say these things repetitiously because these were important things he didn't want us to forget. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about self-righteousness in lots of different ways. He talks about their motives. He talks about how they love to be seen by men and applauded of by men. But that's not what we're going to talk about. We're, we're going to talk about the relational side of self-righteousness because I think that's what bothered Jesus so much about it. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he's talking about lots of different things. And we're going to pick up a thought already in progress. But he's talking to the group of people about self-righteousness. And this is what he says to them. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. He says, so for all of you who are disciples and all of you who are thinking about being disciples, if you want to know what a disciple of mine looks like, Jesus would say, I'm going to show you. Because there's relational implications to following Jesus. There's going to be an implication in your relationship with God, and it's going to change your relationship with everybody else. So if you want to know the relational implications of what it means to follow me, Jesus would say, this is it. Be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful towards you. In other words, if you're going to follow me, you never have the right to treat somebody else in your life in a way that's inconsistent with the way that God has treated you in your life. That's what Jesus says. He says, I want you to know what it means to follow me. That if you're going to follow me, I want you to treat others the way that God has treated you. So when you think about how your heavenly father has been with you relationally, I want you to take that and be the same way relationally to all the people in your life, especially the people that fall short of the standard, whether it's your standard or God's standard. I want you to treat people the way that God, your father has treated you. I want you to give mercy to everyone. I want you to give excessive mercy. I want you to give unconditional mercy. I want you to give it to the undeserved. I want you to give mercy in every direction. Because here's the thing about self-righteous people. They're not without mercy. Self-righteous people are merciful people, but there's usually one, two, or a few directions that they refuse to let mercy flow. There's usually a group of people, there's a particular issue, there's a particular sin, there's a particular attitude, there's a particular disposition, there's a particular characteristic, there's a particular something that they shut mercy off concerning. They give mercy over here, they give mercy over there, but no, there's one, two, few places, they don't let mercy go. And Jesus said, if you're gonna follow me, it's gotta be mercy in every direction. Because Jesus knew we typically don't like the people who sin differently than we do. See, I like to hang out with people who sin like me. Because I can sin with them and still feel good about me. And then, as I'm hanging out with the people who sin like me, I can look at the people and talk about the people who don't sin like we do and feel even better about me. That's self-righteousness. That's what we do. I've been involved in these conversations. You've been involved in these conversations. 
Jesus said this is not to be the way it is for a Jesus follower. Jesus came to build a church, a church where he would die for sinners, invite sinners to come be a part of the family of God, sinners saved by the grace of God, a family, a community where every sinner realizes they are no different, no better than other sinners who've also been saved by the grace of God. And because we're sinners, all the same, saved by the grace of God, we are able to give grace and mercy in every direction because we know we're no better than anybody else. So why would we be harsh to someone when God, our Heavenly Father, has not been harsh to us? Why would we keep score when God refuses to keep score on us? Why would we embarrass someone, belittle someone, talk about them behind their back when God has refused to do anything like that towards us? And so he goes on, he says, so do not judge. This is a verse we've all heard and most misquote it and more even more people misapply it but jesus said do not judge don't judge with self-righteousness so what does it mean to judge with self-righteousness to compare yourself to other people in a way that results in arrogance or pride because when we compare ourselves to other people we have a way we have a we have a way of thinking we have a grid where we end up on top more times than not You begin to look at somebody, someone, and something they do, the way they live, the way they talk, choices they make, and you look at them and you talk about them in such a way it begins to feel better about yourself. You think you're better than they are. And Jesus hated that type of thinking. You begin to size people up and you begin to take inventory of their life. You begin to scrutinize all of their choices and you scrutinize their social media and you scrutinize their habits and you scrutinize their schedule and you scrutinize their diet and you scrutinize their fashion and you scrutinize their health. You scrutinize their house. You scrutinize their children. And you find something. You find a couple of things. And it makes you feel better about you. It makes me feel better about me. Jesus said, that's not the way it is. Do not judge. And then he goes on to say this, and you will not be judged. (laughs) That's the part we ought to care about. That's the good news. Judge not. Do not judge and you will not be judged. The implication is if you judge them, guess what? They're going to judge you. If you judge other people, then guess what other people are going to do? Other people are going to judge you. So do not judge and you won't be judged. Because the manner in which you judge other people, the measure by which you judge other people, will be the manner and the measure by which other people judge you. Whew. So do not judge, and you will not be judged. But here's the thing. We're Jesus followers. We're in the family of God. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to speak truth with grace into each other's lives. We're supposed to keep one another from drifting and getting distracted. And sometimes it requires us to have a conversation to say, I'm concerned about something. You know, I love you, but but let me ask you a question about something. You know, that's just part of the faith experience. But Jesus said, hey, you better make sure of when you judge someone, because we're always sizing people up. We have observational powers. We have analytical minds to some degree. We can have deductive reason. We got all that from God. He says, so when we look at each other, we we can sometimes see that somebody's going on a wrong path or a bad trajectory. So what are we supposed to do in those moments? He said, well, if you have to judge, here's how you should do it. Do not condemn. 
don't condemn. Why? Because your heavenly father's not condemned you. So don't condemn other people when they don't meet the standard. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. What? Yeah, because if you condemn them in some way, Jesus is saying, you're going to get condemned. Don't assign guilt to people. That's not your job. You don't get to determine who's guilty and who's not. You can't see a heart. You can't read a mind. You can only see little bitty things. You don't know enough to be able to condemn. You don't see enough to be able to condemn. You don't hear enough to be able to condemn. So don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So just let it go. Matter of fact, Proverbs 19, 11 says, it's to someone's glory to be able to overlook an offense. Forgive without them even having to ask for forgiveness. Forgive without having to have a conversation about it. Be free with your forgiveness. Be proactive. Take the initiative. Forgive. Don't condemn. You know who we don't forgive? People we feel superior to. That's how it kind of works. That's why self-righteousness. That's why Jesus hated it. So let it go, he says. Don't condemn. Be like Jesus. When they brought a woman who was guilty of adultery, there was a bunch of self-righteous people ready to judge. They had stones in their hand, and Jesus said, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. They dropped their stones. They walked away, and Jesus looked at the guilty woman and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Don't walk around with rocks in your hand. Be like Jesus. Be merciful just as your heavenly father has been merciful to you. And this is what Jesus is going after. Now, let me say this to us. How we feel about people when they fall short of a standard is very telling. How we feel about them, how we talk about them when they're not in the room is very telling about me when they fall short of a standard. You need to pay attention. I need to pay attention to how I feel towards people, certain people, one or two people, perhaps, when they fall short of a standard. I need to beware and pay attention to how I talk about that person, those couple of people, that couple, that family, that group of people who used to be in our circle, but they're not in our circle anymore. I need, I need to beware how I talk about them when they're not there because that's very telling about me. And Jesus goes on to make his point. He's going to quote a verse of scripture you've probably heard before, but you heard it misquoted and misapplied and people applied it to money, but it's not talking about money. And here's what he says. He says, give and it will be given to you. All right. What's he talking about? He's talking about how you judge. He's talking about if you condemn. He's talking about how gracious you are, how merciful you are, how loving you are, how patient you are. He says, if you give that away, It'll be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be poured into your lap. Doesn't that just make you get excited? He says, it's going to be poured right in your lap. Whatever you give away, it's going to come back to you in an even greater form. For with the measure you use to do what? To judge. It will be measured to you. So if you give away mercy, you give away grace, you give away forgiveness, you give away patience, you give that away. That's how you judge people. That's how you make sure you treat people. He said, oh, it's coming back to you. And when you're in a bad place and you fall in the ditch and you fall short of a standard, 
Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's going to be poured in. Grace will be poured in. Love will be poured in. Patience will be poured in. Forgiveness will be poured in. You'll get it back. Because that's how this works. So question, how do you want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? Now, you're going to be judged. How, you going to, how do you want to be judged? I'll tell you. I'll tell you how I want to be judged. I want to be judged not. But if I am, if I have to be judged, let me tell you the type of judge I want. I want the type of judge that takes my entire story into consideration. I want a judge who understands my insecurities, who knows my greatest struggles, who understands my deepest thoughts, my hidden fears. I want a judge who understands the family where I came from, the relationship that I had or didn't have with my parents, I want them to know about my temptations. I want them to know about my entire history before they judge me. I don't want a judge who's going to judge me on a soundbite or by a post or a couple of posts or by a picture or by a tweet. I don't want to be judged on my worst morning or on a bad day or a bad season by one bad decision or five bad decisions. I want a judge who's going to judge it against all of me. Isn't that the kind of judge you want? You want to be judged for a soundbite? You want to be judged by one thing, by a bad day? Do you want to be judged without all the facts known? Do you want to be judged by someone who doesn't know your story, who doesn't know where you came from, who doesn't know why you may be a little bit of the way that you are? Of course not. Don't be that judge in somebody else's life. Don't use a measure on someone else that you don't want used against you. Then Jesus asked a question. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Why do you do that? Well, can I be honest, Jesus? Well, yeah, we'd like for you to be honest. It's kind of fun. Makes for good conversation. It's easy to do. Or maybe we could just get honest and say, you know what? A lot of us are terribly insecure people and we love to self-medicate our small, broken egos by finding a person who acts as a scapegoat so we can feel better about ourselves. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm not gonna be that honest. Why do we do that? Why do we run surveillance on people? Why are you so into the way they raise their kids? Why, why are you so into how she dresses? Why are you so interested in how they spend their money? Why are you so interested in their children and their schedule? Why do you continue to look at the speck of sawdust in everybody else's eyes? Why are you thumbing through social media and you stop it? There's another picture of themselves. Who do they think they are? And then you screenshot it, send it to a friend. Did you see this? Don't look at me like that. I know you. I've gotten some of your texts. You've gotten some of my texts. This is how we are. We're supposed to be people of faith. We're supposed to be a people of love. And we undercut and undermine each other when they're not there to hear, listen, defend. And we do it without knowing the story. 
They fell short of a standard that you have. Why do you, why do you, why do, you do that? Why do I do that? Where does this begin? Well, this is worth a trip, and this is where we're beginning to land the plane. Where does this start? This kind of self-righteousness. I'll tell you where it starts. It usually starts somewhere really good. Somewhere healthy. Holy. Let me tell you how it starts. You make a decision to be different. I make a decision to do some things different. There's some things I've been doing, I'm going to stop doing them. There's some things that I've not been doing that I should. I'm going to start doing those. I'm going to rededicate. I'm going to recommit my life. And I'm going to change direction. And you should do that. And I should do that. But then we start on this brand new trajectory. And we begin to notice there's some people in our life. They're still doing the things that I decided I wasn't going to do anymore. And there's some people who are still not doing the things that I've started doing. Hmm. And you realize that you're headed in a direction that not everybody in your life is heading. At first, it's concern. At first, you're, you're bothered by it in a good way. But then, you become frustrated with them because of it. And then if you don't watch it, it becomes disdain for them. Disgust that you just don't understand why they, they don't get it. Why they're still like that. Everybody's supposed to grow up at some point. I grew up and they still seem to be acting like high schoolers or college kids. And then all of a sudden, it's turned into full-fledged self-righteousness. And you think that because you're different, you've become better. See, when we decide to do better than we were, we are at risk of starting to think we are better than others are. And Jesus said, this is why this is so concerning. This is why this is such a big deal. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You're looking around, you're nitpicking, you're pointing at, you're talking about. Why, why do you do that? When there's a plank in your own eye, you, you're not even dealing with your own family, your own marriage, your own life. You're, you're not even concerned about it. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, and then Jesus said, you, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. You hypocrite. You got a plank in your eye and you're trying to dust somebody else's eye. You started feeling like you're better just because you're different. Jesus told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A saint and a sinner went to the temple. The saint looks at the sinner and says, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. So thankful I don't do what they do. So thankful. And the sinner was like, God, just have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, you know who went home justified that day? Do you know who went home closer to God that day? The sinner, not the saint. Because at least the sinner was honest enough about who they were. I think everybody has a list like that man had a list. God, I'm grateful I'm not like that. I'm grateful I'm not like them. I'm glad we don't live our lives like fill in the blank. Who's on your list? What are those things and who are those people? And you know what you ought to do with that list? You ought to burn it. Jesus said, first take out the plank of your own eye and then 
you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The implication being, you can't help anyone. You shouldn't help anyone until you first try to help yourself, until you first fix yourself, especially if you've become self-righteous. But because we're Jesus followers, there's gonna be times we have to talk with each other, have conversations with each other. What should that be? And the apostle Paul, he takes what Jesus said and he puts a bow on it and he says, okay, here's what all that means. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin and you're gonna find lots of people caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit, in other words, those of you who try to be like Jesus should restore that person, how? Just as your heavenly father is towards you, gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. All of us need to realize that we're one decision from stupid. We're one choice from disaster. We're one wrong move from falling on our face. And does it really matter what that decision is, what that choice is, what that issue may be. There's nothing that you're capable of that I'm not. There's nothing that I'm capable of that you're not. So watch yourselves. That you're not also at a place where you think, I would never, I could never. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ being love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, if anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. In other words, if you think you're better than, superior to, that you have moral high ground, you don't get it. Jesus followers, we don't live to correct. We live to restore. We don't walk around trying to set people straight. No. We walk around attempting to gently restore that which needs to be restored. But only after I've done the hard work of figuring out how much self-righteousness do I have? What relationships in my life have I undermined because of my self-righteousness? Who have I pulled away from and why? Who no longer gets an invitation and why? Who do I no longer call and why? Could it be that when someone didn't meet a standard, I was self-righteous, I condemned, I assigned guilt and I was nothing like how my heavenly father is when I fall short of the standard. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. In this moment, I want to give all of us an opportunity to ask our heavenly father to show us the planks in our own eye. I want God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to us in this moment and show us the people and the things, the issues that we've become self-righteous about. The people that we look down on, the people that we've been talking about behind their back. 
the people that we've been making fun of and we say things like, oh, I feel so sorry for them or they're just this or they're just that. And we began to believe that it was harmless. It was out of a good place, but the honest to God reality is it's just ugly self-righteousness. That there's some people in my life I've just started to believe that I'm better than they are. God, open up our hearts. Show us what we don't want to see. Help us to know what we don't want to know. God, self-righteousness is so hard to see in our own lives. It's so difficult to want to admit. So God, I want you to forgive me for self-righteousness, the areas, the people. And God, may we all be honest enough today to admit where self-righteousness has crept its way in. Let us get honest about it. Confess it to you. You'll gently forgive us and direct us on a better way of how to deal with one another. Mercifully, graciously, lovingly, the way you have dealt with us.